Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. This week we are discussing Dodge's book, the third book in Tamara Pierce's series, Circle of Magic. We have two guests with us from the Circle of Friendship podcast, and we hope you enjoy our discussion as we talk about the different ways that Dodge tackles various things going on in her life. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today on Books That Burn, we have some guests. Can you introduce yourselves? I'm Anna, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Circle of Friendship podcast, where we talk about all things Emelon. I'm MJ, and I am the other co-host of the Circle of Friendship podcast, where we talk about all things Emelon. And they're joining us to talk about Daja's book by Tamara Pierce. So let's get into our factions. First, we have Daja, Sandry, Triss, Briar, Frostpine, Nico, Rosethorn, Lark, Polyam, Yarun, Vedris, and the Lady Anolia. For our first topic, it is Frostpine and child abuse. <sighs> so, anyone want to get have some into this? Thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a really so. I want to just um kind of i guess preface this topic with a little bit of nuance because our topic is child abuse but the thing that is happening here is uh manipulation of frostpine's magic without consent so this Mm -hmm. is also definitely a consent topic yep and it we we see frostpine's trauma come out in the book like that's how we even know about this is that he has almost a ptsd flashback and doesn't use exactly that words but he describes it as a flashback an emotional flashback in this because of something non-harmful that happens with daja yeah non-harmful this very particular instance is not harmful it, it didn't turn out harmful Okay. Uh, at the time, Frostpine, I don't think, had any reason to uh, assume it would be non-harmful. 
Right. It's but, one of those that da- it could have been very bad. <laughs> with, with Daja, there was no consent issue. It was oh, to yeah, fix yeah, yeah. an ongoing problem. It wasn't abuse. Right. Just, right. I'm just it, saying that, like, yeah. Frostpine definitely just saw the thing happening again, and that was it. Right. Yeah, he was triggered by a similar occurrence. Yes. And, like, his parents, they... They sold his magic basically like as soon as he was born, it sounds like. I almost even want to call it magical slavery. Indentured slave servitude. There is a thing because they didn't just like they sold it for money. Right. And the the reason I'm I'm leaning towards slavery over indentured servitude is just because it was non-consensual. Like like he yeah. did not he did not sign himself up for this. No. And like slavery <laughs> is a thing that exists in the world of these books and like yeah. some later books there's a character who was sold into slavery at That's one point. That's what I'm saying magical. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Um but yeah, like a, a part of him is taken away and not for his use anymore like and he has zero consent or ability to do anything with it. And when he was ang- when he with the this person dies and he gets his magic back, his parents were like, "What's your problem? Why are you upset?" And he gets just like gaslit by them. Yeah, yeah. his parents we're- told him that it was for his own good. Hmm. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Gross. <clears throat> Yep. And we touched and on this now a little bit. Go ahead. Oh, we touched on this in in our podcast when we when we um pursued this chapter, but the way that it's described is very clearly like child predation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the way he talks about his discomfort, this guy was always watching him. Like he could tell something was wrong, but he was being gaslit by his family who was telling him no, no, everything's fine. That is a very real world experience for any number of types of child abuse where like as a child you're being constantly undermined and told that this is fine you're wrong your instincts are incorrect even if you know deep down that something's wrong yeah and he didn't have any reason to think oh the explanation is that i have magic and they're selling it like he had no idea at all until he was in his teens and suddenly all of his magic came back. Magic that he then didn't know how to control, didn't know how to use, had to like just get away and find help and figure it out. Yeah. Poor Frostpine. I'm just sad. <laughs> just sad uh-huh. thinking about Frostpine. <laughs> yeah. He suffered uh-huh. so much. And in terms much. of like its place in the book, like one thing this series does is when like the adults talk about their trauma it's usually like very restricted and just in one chapter um and but where well one chapter or where the you get kids the explanation the right like one one chapter where you get the explanation but you can see the effects on their behavior mm. like separate from that it's not like all of it is super neatly confined or something like Frostpine is like he's very very careful about people's boundaries um oh just, he's exceedingly 
Yes. Deliberate, like, uh, actually, in our, or our MJ, if either of you have a thought on just his treatment of Daja when she first starts working Oh, yeah, 100%. We've talked about this in Circle of Friendship, where a lot of the teachers, by Frostpine especially, is very deliberate in, I need to share your power, but you must give me consent to do so. He's always checking in to make sure you're okay, we're um, there's no imbalance between us. You fully consent, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and that balance defi- part, by the way, is wild, <laughs> considering the <laughs> strength disparity. Yeah. Like, I mean, Lord, like that takes a lot of control on the teacher's <laughs> part. I mean, even in the spoiler alert, forest fire, like. Checking in, handling stuff off. Dodge is totally in control of, like, how power is getting used. No one's, like, being grabbed and made to help. Everybody's volunteering, like, <laughs> um, and there, there's a lot, like, I wish, I wish we got more of Frostpine's backstory, like, more than just this. But, like, I guess we do get, like, cool stories of him, like, as an adult and, like, um... I think we also get an insight into him in another later book. Yeah, yeah. There is one where we definitely learn a lot more about him. He's just, like, a really cool character. Um, I think that's most of what I have for him. Okay. uh, what do you guys, anything else you guys are thinking? This one? The one thing that kind of sticks out for me in this is that Frostpine has shown himself to be very close with the other teachers um, in terms mm-hmm. of them knowing about his past and knowing about his history and often being the ones to explain some things about like the more funny parts of it to the students. <laughs> um, and in this case, I think there's very strong evidence that this was so traumatic for him that he never talked about it because I don't think Lark Mm -hmm. specifically would ever have signed off on this without talking to him first had she known it was going to be a trigger for him. Yeah. And that to me just helps drive home the gravity of what he went through and of how traumatic it was for him because it affected everything in his life. It affected the thing Smith work, which he already loved doing. He could no longer do because he had magic and it was destroying his, his tools would melt like he just couldn't control it all of a sudden when yeah. when the um magic came back to him and when he realized what was done to him and so recovering and rebuilding from that trauma w- must have been such a feat even if we don't see mm-hmm. exactly what he did we get these kind of sort of subtle examples throughout the chapter of just how much this affected him and what it took to get to the point where he's now probably arguably the most powerful smith mage in the world yeah mm-hmm. if not well, the only a... <laughs> well uh... oh man other only than daja obviously but yeah ambient smith mage, ambient smith mage. Like yes. yeah because since he's been looking for someone yeah, else I mean, for 20 still, years as his the only part is so well okay can we can we touch on that very quickly yeah because he's been he's been looking he didn't have this thing. And like, I think there, isn't there a description of him saying that, you know, he felt like there was like, there was something 
dead <laughs> about missing, the metal. I believe is the word. Oh yeah, yeah something mm-hmm. missing, like well, reaching he, he for a tool and finding it's not there. Yeah, like and 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 then he gets this thing back and discovers, you know, that this was this was deliberately traumatic that it didn't have to have been that way. All of this other stuff. And then to be all alone with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I mean, this is going to sound very obvious, but that's super isolating. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to know how he, like who he talked to. How did he learn about this? If If he is the only ambient Smith mage that he knows of, unless there was some other mentor that has long since passed on or something, like how? How did he come back from that? My best bet is that it was probably like some other ambient mage and that he'd also learned smithing yeah. separately. Mm-hmm. And so someone helps him get a grip on his power and then he's able to um, kind of meld them. But like, yeah, having to do that with not very much guidance. I mean, you see how much, I mean, you see how much trouble Triss has in later books <laughs> yeah. with like having a power that is not shared with her mentor and how much work goes in to... I'm not even talking about guidance or a mentor. Oh, yeah, but feeling alone. Yeah. Yeah. Camaraderie with peers. Yeah. And it actually, well, it is kind of interesting because obviously Rose Thorn is not the only uh, plant ambient mage. Mm-hmm. I think they talk about that. And we learned that like stone mages are super common. Like there's kinds of ambient mages that are really common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's common and uncommon. But like the three, the three teachers, I'm not including Nico because... He doesn't just live and work and, you know, he's part of the group, but like. He's not an ambient mage, I don't think. No, he's not. He's an academic mage. And he doesn't serve the temple. But as far as like a, like a teacher squad, (laughs) um, he's part of that group, but, you know. But the, the three ambient mages who are their teachers, they all have kind of like, there is something about them that, you know, they just didn't have anybody else. And then now they're a group which is really cool. But they also don't have any magic in common with each other. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, I mean, like, and you don't have to have, you know, that what like, it would it would be like me not having like music in common with my best friends. Like, okay, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. But like, for Frostpine specifically, that isolating effect, like he has, you know, he's he has like, his most likely other two best friends. But then Dodge shows up and it's like his whole world is just better. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not only me forever now. And like, he's so excited to show her what she can do and how the metal works. And like, I just love like her reaction in in uh, in this book when or no, not in this book, in a previous book from her point of view, when she kind of he has her like touch metal underneath a cloth oh yeah so she can't see it and she has to tell him what it is her reaction to how the metal makes her feel just you know she's like oh it's you know the gold is is so happy and he's like oh yeah Mm -hmm. i'm so glad that you (laughs) liked working with it too it likes you back and like it's that's very much a scene that's framed as being about daja but like there's a lot of of frost pine in it and just Mm -hmm. joy at like Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it must it's alive, alone. and so are you. Like, <laughs> you know, must- you could tell you're with me in it. It's it's just really cool. Yeah, uh, it must also be really 
satisfying to be able to finally pay things forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to teach the love to someone else who's going to be receptive to it, who's going to understand it. Um, But I did also want to highlight one other thing before we wrap this section up, where Mm -hmm. the way Dodger responds to Frostpine sharing this information, sharing his trauma with her, she processes it, recognize what he needs from her, which is, I promise to never put myself in a situation where someone can take my magic and put me through something similar to what you experienced. I promise that I will always think twice before doing something like this. I will never give my magic away freely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important when you're trying to help someone through their trauma. You recognize what it is that that they need and you give it to them without – Trying to tell them, oh, but that was so long ago. I think you're overreacting. <laughs> None of that. And even if she just said, like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, he's like, enough about me. I need this not to happen to you. Stay focused. Yeah. Or like that kind <laughs> of a of a thought. But no, like, yeah, she she reacts in a way that seems to be what he needed. Yeah, I just appreciate them both so much. On to Polyam and Disability. Um, In case you're not familiar with these books, Polyam is the character's name. Yes, we know. Um, (laughs) We are aware. (laughs) We are aware. Uh, She, it sounds like uh, about two years before the events of this book, she was injured in a rock slide on Shale. If you know anything about Shale, you know that it is uh, Knives, the rock. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she Oops, all uh, slid edition. along it and lost an eye, was cut to the bone along all along one side of her body, lost one leg from the thigh down. Um, I don't know if it was directly from the shale or from it having been cut to the bone. Like, either way, it's from this incident. I, I had honestly always kind of pictured that, like, her leg just got cut up a lot and then maybe was rotting. Yeah, yeah, probably amputated. But, like, we don't yeah. have... We don't. We don't have. We it. don't have visceral details of her. Yeah, her struggles. Yeah. This did not happen on the page. No. Yeah. Thank- <laughs> thankfully, because that would be like a very different feel. Yeah. Um, that that would feel more like battle magic. Yeah. I was gonna say that would feel more like <laughs> Briar's book. <laughs> um. <laughs> yay for Briar-centered books. Anyway, um, like genuine yay, but also. <laughs> Okay, um, and so, like, this is a relatively recent injury, and it meant that, like, overnight, she lost her status, she lost her craft, because she, like, her job was to, was to break horses, to train horses, and you, there's a certain level of able-bodiedness that you need in order for that to be a safe job, Mm -hmm. um, especially in a world without our modern level of technology, in a lot of ways. And this injury means that she she doesn't have that like yeah just, just straight overnight up yeah yeah her life then, just completely changed yeah and then yeah. in addition because of trader custom she becomes very much demoted in rank and ostracized to a certain degree 
because she becomes mm-hmm. the Wirok who is who is the person who trades with outsiders and that's looked down upon and degraded. So yeah, because she spends the caravan's of- money instead of creating opportunities to bring money into the caravan. Yeah. Which is such a wild like Can we just talk on that for a second? That is a wild So all right, on the one hand, yes, the traders are all about turning a profit. And so, you know, the more money you bring in, the higher status you are. But it's it's wild to me that this implies that they do fully, fully, fully understand and know that if you don't spend money, you won't make money. But they've also at the same time decided that the person who does that thing that makes the rest of their everything possible is a terrible person <laughs> inherently. And they're and just like, like, okay, can I just relate it to a, another book real quick? It's just like a, it's not a theme, but like a, it's very, it feels very, a very similar feel to this. Mm-hmm. In a different book, we have a culture where uh, they have a whole cast of people whose job it is to essentially be sanitation workers. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they are quite literally shunned, and people treat them as though they are invisible. And if you're born in part of this cast, you have to wear certain clothing to designate the fact that you are dirty. And, like, the traitors don't go that far. But it has a very similar feel of, like, okay, well, you're necessary, but that's gross. (laughs) Like... And I wonder if a little bit of how they dislike merchants is because merchants, the individual merchant, will both buy and sell. Like, they don't split Mm. it. So, Mm -hmm. like, I I was just (laughs) mulling over how they can justify (laughs) disliking merchants and looking down on merchants when they are literally traveling merchants. Merchants. (laughs) And I think it's because merchants will do both halves (laughs) and they only consider one of the halves to be good. Even though you need you need both, like yeah. you have to buy the thing to sell it later, people. <laughs> Especially when they don't do like I was a thing I was mulling over when I say that Polyam lost her status in her craft, and like Polyam would not like me calling it a craft. No, um, Polyam would be offended. Luxia have crafts. Traders don't have crafts. Traders have traders have a calling, expertise, yeah. specialties, and things they are good at that are oh, definitely man. not crafts. No, no, no. There like, is such a superiority complex in mm-hmm. trader culture and in merchant culture, but like and in yeah, merchant but, culture, but like we don't get a close up on merchant culture. <laughs> true. It um, also reminds me of how they treat the concept, of how they treated Daja. When she survived her near-death experience. Oh, yeah. And it's like, they treat Polyam terribly for being the person that needs to spend the money of the caravan in order to do things like maintenance and repairs. And And buy buy materials that they need to cook and everything like that. And then they have someone- I'm kind of shocked she didn't- I'm sorry. I'm kind of shocked she didn't end up trying for surviving the rock slide. Right? Like I, I feel <gasps> like her mom literally being the caravan owner. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like might have it dragged is, her up from that. I feel like yeah. it was, it is way less lucky to be the person who went down the side of a mountain than to be yeah. the one person who survived a shipwreck. I think it's but the, because but the thing with the I, thing with Daja's luck. Lo- okay, go ahead. I think it's because no one died. I think that death is specifically what's considered oh, the that's a very luck. good point. 
And so Pulliam survived, but she wasn't surrounded by death. And that would be my read Mm. with just based contextually on it, that Daja survived, but she didn't just survive a shipwreck. She survived and everyone else died. So the people around her were unlucky. Therefore, she must be a a focal point for bad luck. Yeah, that that was that was the the assumption that I had too. Is just it's not that it's it it's not even like it's not the injuries that matter. It's the fact that somehow when everyone else was harmed, you were not. Clearly, you brought the spirit here. Clearly, Mm -hmm. you are the luck that it caused everyone else because you know a, a parasite won't kill its host question mark yeah <laughs> which is not a line in this book I, that's me <laughs> theorizing right that's me relating it to something else that is totally different <laughs> but that's the like metaphor that i it's also as for her like oh no go ahead i was gonna say i was gonna move on to her actual disability so if you have a thing that's not that let's do that first that's what i was gonna do too <laughs> okay <laughs> no I, that's exactly where i was going okay you go ahead oh i was just gonna say in addition to the fact that she now has lost her craft, she has lost her status in society in their society. She also is now dealing with a very it, it, with adapting to a new level of mobility and in a, a very painful injury that continues mm-hmm. to cause her pain to this day. Like if she rides mm-hmm. for too long, even though she does have a walking aid, if she rides for too long or walks for too long, it pinches, it it hurts. She's obviously much less agile than she used to be. So mm-hmm. more agile than I would be yeah. after like less than two years. She moves quite quick, uh, quite quietly and sneaks up on people a mm-hmm. lot in this book <laughs> with her wooden leg. But... Um, which I feel like is probably a point of pride for her, but... I have a really Mm -hmm. sad thought about that. Yeah. She sneaks up on people because otherwise they leave because they're trying to avoid her in the caravan. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. She's trying to be unobtrusive. Yeah. (laughs) I also think she's kind of a, like, pot stirrer and likes likes saying, like, ha, you thought you could pull one over on me. Yeah, definitely. Guess what? I can still sneak Mm -hmm. up on you. (laughs) and like it's not just that like she has such a different level of mobility it's that her previous um position was so dependent on like physicality and being agile and like being able to like physically do all these things that the gap between that is very large and when it comes with all these other changes like um it's and can we talk about how they were going to make, because uh, they, as far as I can tell, she no longer actually has to do the thing where she washes in every pond and stream because of like events at the end of the book. But they were going to make the person who's missing half of a leg bathe in every pond and stream and wash the donkey too yep. for like, I think it was like 10 days. After. Yeah. That is having the and the donkey too would be hellish even if she had like full use of all of her limbs. Yeah. This yep. is just like And oh, pointing out Oh my goodness. This is not you have to wash. This is no one else can touch you or acknowledge you or see you or yeah. until you wash. We talked so about this a little she bit. She doesn't get in... an aid. She's not getting help. 
Yeah. We talked about this a little bit in Circle of Friendship, where it's a uh, kind of slap in the face in terms of accessibility, because she's yeah. a person who doesn't have full range of motion, and you're going to force her to do something that makes her life ten times more difficult, instead of just have another person go through the cleansing ritual to be on hand for when she needs help. Like, that would be more accessible. Or, you know, yeah. not have this at all. <laughs> Just don't ostracize I prefer that. <laughs> yeah. But if I'm trying to find <laughs> accessibility within your limitations and your culture, you could have done that. That is a thing you could have done. It also feels like an extra slap when, like, I feel like we've slipped a little bit into talking about what the characters do to each other rather than what the author did with the character. But, but oh. very briefly, <laughs> very briefly, uh, she has to, like, wrangle this donkey, which I feel like would be just a constant reminder of how much she is not able to wrangle horses right yeah. now. Yeah. Like, that seems like that would uh, suck uh, extra <laughs> with mm. that. But as for what, like, the author does with this character at the end of the book to for Daja to like repay her personal debt for polyam for creating the opportunity for Daja's own debt that we're going to get to talk about to be wiped away they make her an artificial limb yeah that can move like a real limb and i am so happy that the end of this that you know with this disabled character that like the outcome is Daja finds out that making mobility aids is a thing that she can do now. <laughs> yeah. um, because we like we get hints through like the rest of the thing that that's kind of like still a thing she does. Yeah. On and off, at least, as people need it. And that we do this here to like, it, it feels like it, it's this book like starts out with people in very like uneven in bad situations and does a lot of work to get them to a much better place by the end of it. And I really appreciate that because it feels like even if the characters aren't necessarily all like caring about each other and being doing things that are accessible, the book leaves people in a better, more accessible place. Yeah. At the end. 100%. And proves that you don't need to use magic to fix disability. You can use magic to make mobility aids. Yeah. Kind of yeah. easily. Yes. And other authors don't need, other authors and content creators don't need to automatically go to, and then we magically restored their eye, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Nah, not a word about the eye. She just can walk now. Yeah. And walk and, you know, and, and even there's little bits of like, you know, put oil in the joints this often. And like, you know, there's ongoing maintenance things that will now be much easier for her to do because when she uses this mobility aid, it she has more spoons to do everything else. Like, obviously not like the book uses that language, but yeah, it just, that's, that's the intention. Yeah. Well, and, and kind of talking on like, you know, what the author does with the characters. I do want to say, for anyone listening to this who has not read these before and is, you know, deciding whether or not they want to handle it. It is consistent throughout this whole entire series. I'm not going to MJ or, or Anna, you guys can, if you want to speak more on the author as a whole, I don't actually remember <laughs> uh, how much this is a thing in other series of hers or not. Uh, but 
at least in this series, characters calling out things for being terrible as they happen, even if they're not fixed yet, even if they're not even part of the situation, even if, you know, but but not just going, ooh, a character suffers and we move on. Like, that does not happen in this series. Briar makes a bad decision and is going to harm somebody. He immediately gets called out by maybe his teacher, maybe someone else, maybe one of his sisters. Like, I feel like overall that happens much more in the Amelin series than it does in the Tortal universe. Yeah. I feel like the Tortal oh, okay. universe lets things linger and be bad and not caught out for like a lot longer because it's well, it has a, a different cadence to its arcs. I think yeah, okay. early Tortal does early what you're Tortal saying. Especially. And then as we progress to like Protector of the Small, um, even Trickster's Choice and Trickster's Queen, especially Becca Cooper, there's a lot more of like, you see that this is bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see that, yes? Is that just an author developing as an author thing, do you think, then? Eh, Timeline-wise? I think it's a little of I think it might both. be. I believe that she genuinely mm-hmm. improves. Yeah, it's just it's just something that, like, here, even... There's so many things... Like, in this book especially, but in really all of these books, there's so many things that are not really okay and the author has set up the world so the author made them not okay but the author also spends the entire time having characters go do you see this yeah that that's not okay that makes it there's nothing i can do about it but it's not okay that makes it a critique and it makes it Mm -hmm. looking at real world things so that way we can critique it and compare it to our world and our experiences which i think is worthwhile oh yeah absolutely awesome I also it's, think it's, it's very partially to read. Yeah. I also think it's partially that because Tortal was her first series and she set it up as a fairly um like standard quote unquote medieval fantasy world, everything from then on is working kind of within that framework. So it's less so it's more about showing that things are bad and then taking a while to get there, whereas Emelon seems to have been craft crafted later and was crafted as a much more not totally across the board, but what we see a little bit more of an egalitarian society. And so when those things do come up, it's less here we are living in this rigid structure of a world and this is the bad things that happen within this rigid structure of a world. So I think part of it is like I all often see with a lot of what happens in Becca Cooper is kind of like crossing between Tortal and Emelon and how things work, even with like former Capes Magic and things like that. There's also been theories that are not supported. I have the yeah, feelings about Becca Cooper. <laughs> by anything or anyone. And I think Pierce has like said, no, 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 that Emelon is Tortal like 300 years in the future-ish. Or not necessarily <laughs> Tortal itself, <laughs> yeah. but that world because of how much more like technological development there is. And, oh, okay. And just like a lot My of other theory things. theory is that Emelon and Tortal are across the sea from each other. That's also a theory that she's been like, no, no, they're com- just completely different worlds. But yeah, like, so this is like a fan <laughs> theory that people have existences. said. Please don't give me a giant thing. <laughs> that Farmer Cape is like one of the first anime mages and it's a whole thing. Anyway. The, the thing that makes me think that. But yeah, I think it's partially an author choice and partially what she created. The thing that makes me think no way is Emmeline just future Tortal is that Tortal has an entire book series about how they 
get rid of slavery so that Tortal doesn't have slavery, even though its neighbors do. And so mm-hmm. when Emmeline does that i think is the biggest thing to make me say no i really hope emmeline isn't the future because that would mean that this positive change got erased i am much happier with the idea that they are completely separate universes yep (laughs) well i mean yeah but that is very far away it's it's very far away i do have one more i just want to say that the magic works very differently in Mm -hmm. the two universes oh yeah and yes. for me, that is a big like. No, these these are not the same planes of existence. <laughs> like, yep. I also do think it's funny talking about the way her like treatment of those things changes because I read the Alana series, and then I was like, okay, this is cool. I really liked, you know, because um, you know the the concept of. Well, in this world where women can't be knights, this one woman then does the thing. I was like, ooh, that sounds like a thing that I would totally do. I really relate to this. And I don't really like a lot of the rest of the story. And so so I read it a lot. And then I found other things that also kind of grabbed that need for me. And I immediately stopped reading Alana. <laughs> and then <laughs> Protector of the Small came out. And I was like, oh, this is much, this feels better but now it's no longer a story that I relate to. But I liked it better, and I think it might have been that character treatment shift. But then it wasn't a thing I related to. And then I and then this series came out, and I was like, oh, okay, no, this is my favorite now, and I just don't <laughs> read any, I don't read her other stuff. And it's not because I don't like her other stuff. It's because I just grabbed a hold of hold of this particular series. I was like, nope. This is the one I'm going to read 20 million times. <laughs> this has everything that I'm looking for. <laughs> These are my children and I will protect them. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's funny because I think that that treatment or mis- or, or lack of treatment with her characters, um, I think definitely plays a big part of how comfortable I felt reading it. Yeah. Because um, Alana is like, like you said, like things just happen. And then it it happened. And it's like, okay, well... <laughs> You know, and and this series does none of that. This series is consistent and loud about yelling when things are happening that are bad, even if there's nothing in universe that the characters can do about it. Yeah. All I want is textual acknowledgement. That's all I really want. <laughs> the bar's so low. Yeah. This is why you have problems with the wise man's fear. Uh, we'll talk about it off air. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. to Daja and ostracization. So because she was the only survivor of the shipwreck that killed her whole um, is it clan? Ship? It's the right term? For traitors? Uh, I think Basically, ship. Her whole family. Third ship, Kisubo. Okay. Yeah. It is okay, her whole family. Because it's not caravan. Oh yeah, so caravan. it killed everyone except for her on um, third ship, Kasubo. And because she's the only survivor, she's considered unclean, bad luck. And like at the very start of the book, Polyam refuses to even acknowledge her and has to do like a special ceremony in order to like n- be able to <sighs> speak to her as though she exists. Uh, and the contortions that she goes through to speak 
and not speak to her are uh, quite uh, funny, but also sad. Yes. Early yeah. on, definitely. I think it, it definitely feels like it was set up a little bit to be like, just funny enough that it wasn't heartbreaking to read. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not making light really of it. I also really love... No, not making yeah. light of it at all. Just it's a humorous um uh attempt. I, I kind do of. think that one of the funniest not, not by bits the author, the book by the character. Is, it's humorous yeah, the I way do think she that one of the, refuses to acknowledge. One of the funniest spots in the book is when Sandry asks what shade of yellow the special <laughs> ceremony paint is. Yeah. And Polly M is like I call it yellow. <laughs> I am not um, entertaining you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you was, mind if I read a quote? Very good. Go for it. Sure. Uh, I have no choice but to stand here and hope someone will tell me where I can find the smith. That's Pulliam talking, realizing that the person she'd been trying to talk to is someone that she's not supposed to talk to. So she's just going to stand there. Yeah. And ignore her <laughs> until yeah. someone else comes along. Which, which is equal parts funny and sad, as we said, <laughs> because she can't even like, communicate. But with Daja, Daja realized right away that Polyam was a traitor and so was doing her part as the um as the person who's bad luck. Because she, like, still believes, like, the traitor stuff. Like, it's her people. It's her culture. Like, she's only been away from them for, like, a couple of months. Um, it's really, it's three books in, so it's easy for me to forget that this is not a lot of time since she lost her whole family. Mm-hmm. It's been, like, six months. Like, she, yeah, yeah she realizes immediately that Polyam is a traitor. And so she is doing her part and not answering Polyam back. And then... After Polyamp thinking that Daja is rude for like a couple sentences, oh, that she was... figures out what's oh, going God. on, and then yeah, that was just frustrating. Uh, in it's a frustrating moment in the book because um, Polyamp is just like, excuse me, and Daja's over here like, oh my God, you're gonna not want to talk to me in ten seconds anyway. I don't feel like talking to you to tell you to. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, just this moment. And then Dodge is like, oh, there it is. She saw the staff. Yep. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of what we touched on in our last topic of the author not just letting things happen without calling it out, Dodge calls for help because Triss is out back moderating her fire for her. And so Daja is literally like, please get in here because I need literally anybody other than me that this person will acknowledge. Daja, or no, and, and Daja has to like, like bet, like Triss, stop reading and help me. <laughs> and like Triss is like, uh, okay, fine. And then Triss yells at Polyam for ignoring Daja, which is my favorite moment of the scene. Because Triss comes in and is like, hi, you treating my sibling like this makes no sense. Just talk to her. And then Daja's trying so hard to be like, but it's my culture and we can't disrespect this. And Triss is basically over here going, hi, that's not okay. Just it it being your part of your culture doesn't mean that treating you like this is fine. Yeah, Daja, um, Triss has no patience Triss gets totally worked (laughs) up on Daja's behalf. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We also see that sparking. 
we see that with the teachers throughout the book. They're much more like respectful and tactful about it. Yeah. When when discussing another culture, but they do get frustrated throughout the book with the fact yeah. that this person that they care about and they care for and and are raising is treated so poorly by the culture from which she came. Because like all Daja would have to do to not have this happen is give up her stra- staff and not have anyone know that she's a traitor. But like she doesn't because it's important to her. It's her culture. It's her people. And for her, the way that she is specifically excised from that culture is still part of the culture that she's actively participating in by carrying Mm -hmm. her staff. And that doesn't make the ostracization her fault in any way. It is absolutely not. But I appreciate that the solution from the author wasn't for Daja to abandon her culture, even if the only bit she still had access to was the way she'll get actively shunned if she runs into anybody else. Also, she did have an experience where she tried to leave that part of her behind, and she found Mm -hmm. out it was way worse for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wait, which bit? She left left her staff in her room and got beat up. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. That is, okay, yeah. Yeah, no, I just that's what you meant. It is such an interesting contrast where, like you said, like, like the adults are like, okay, well, we have to be very respectful of this other culture. But also, like, ah, part of their culture is literally harming a strata of their population. And like, it's that it's that you can hear that frustration. And then the kids, especially Tris, are just like, well, they're harming my best friend and adopted sister, so I have no patience and I don't care, and I will have them be mad at me because I'm protecting you. Yeah, <laughs> like, tr- like it's just it's such a. It, I think it's just really well written. It's a really good setup where no, the culture is not being disrespected, but the characters who care about Daja still have kind of a space to defend her. Um, but also, I will say this, speaking of respecting other people's cultures, uh, nobody, literally zero people in Daja's circle try and take over and force her to something, something, something interact. Daja uh-huh. leads. It's always her call. If she wants to walk away, the her entire like family magic friend group goes, awesome. Bye. <laughs> if if she wants to stay, they will do everything they can to help. If she needs a buffer, they're right there for her. They're ecstatic when they're allowed to tell the traitors that they can't talk to her. They're excited <laughs> about it. But also that wasn't their decision. It was hers. And she kept full control of her interactions the entire time. And so there's this call out, but there's no infringing on her autonomy and there's no there's no trying to erase or take over or dismiss her culture at all and it's just a it's a very it feels like such a very good balance of calling out of of some pretty terrible practices but also not being disrespectful and i just i just like the flip where i just really 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 like the the contrast and dynamic where when daja does not want to talk to polyam tris is like bye <laughs> yes <laughs> And then Daja does, and Trish is like, okay, fine, what do you need? <laughs> like, sure, okay, all right. 
And also there's a nice mix of like cross group conversations and then like the in group conversation that Daja and Polyam have, like including the one at the end where it's like, do you ever think that like they're more right and are people more wrong? And it's like, yeah, I I do think that sometimes. I love that conversation. they're like, yeah, where they're like acknowledging like these are our people, this is our practice, but like this does a lot of damage, huh? Yeah, it does a lot of damage. Like, it especially sucks when you're the one that it's hurting. Yeah. And, like, but it, it doesn't, there is no, like, now we have to make the traitors stop doing this writ large. Like, it's not, yeah, because, like. I think it's really important uh, that that final conversation happens between Daja and Pulliam, and it happens with just mm-hmm. Daja and Pulliam. Like, none of the other kids tagged along. It's just them observing the beautiful parts and the ugly parts of their culture and discussing the nuance. Yeah. Yep. And that conversation does happen after a really beautiful passage describing uh, traitor culture through Daj's loving eyes. Yeah. You know, like where she's describing like having spent her whole life around people who moved like this, spoke like this, decorated this way, had all these customs and things like yeah, I, I, oh yeah, I, I definitely appreciate how much we get to see the bits that she loves about it because until now we really haven't gotten to see it for obvious reasons because she's not with her people. Um, but then also, like at the end, she doesn't go with them because if she had gone with them, she would have to give up like being a mage, and yeah. even if she didn't have to give up all of being a mage, she'd have to give up all but part of it, and she'd definitely have to give up smithing, and. Um, circling back briefly to, like, Frostpine's thing, like, I feel like his, the placement of his story in this book is really appropriate because you have kind of, like, the opposite of the situation that Daja could have decided to end up in Mm. because he had smithing, but he didn't have magic, and she's being offered magic, but you don't get to smith anymore. And both of them needed both parts of it. And so I think that juxtaposition is really nice and I don't know if it's trying to be a direct uh, contrast for the two situations but I think it's definitely they're well placed in relation to each other in this book I agree I think also by Frostpine explaining how when he did get his magic back how it almost killed him and how it felt to not have full access to the thing that was such an integral part of him without him really knowing it. I think that set things up for Daja as well, because by agreeing to go with the traitors, she would then be agreeing to that life, essentially. (laughs) And knowing how hard it was for Frostpine, can she really do that to herself? Yeah. So then one last thing with like, um, Daja still being ostracized, but like trying to save people. The bit at the end with the fire, she's yelling that there is a fire, and they're like, "No, no, no, we can't, we can't hear the Trangsi. Nope, no, 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 we don't know you're here." And she's like, "I will rust everything if you do not stop right now." <laughs> and they're like, "Hmm, we definitely can't hear that, but we are coincidentally totally stopping." <laughs> And not uh, doing anything else. (laughs) Like, it's... uh, Like, this book, like, 
is, I don't know, just in terms of, like, the author portraying this, there's no, like, it's not like you have, like, people randomly conspiring and, like, no. going around the ostracization or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, even Polly am talking to her is completely within the constraints of these rules and this culture. And I appreciate the way, yeah, it's calling out what's wrong with it without dismissing mm-hmm. it. Right. Just consistently. Um, but then, like, in this series, there are times where what you need to do is, like, stop the thing, uh, <laughs> which we'll, we'll uh, have in one of our other <laughs> episodes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, I have one last thought. I'm not going to spoil it. I know technically we can talk about spoilers, but this is such a good moment that I don't want to ruin it. But I do just want to make an observation of the very end without spoilers, without actually saying what happened. I really love, I I really love the reaction of the traitors uh, to Daja's solution to the forest fire. Mm-hmm. I just... The whole everything in their culture so that I just all I'm going to say is that we know canonically and this has been talked about basically since the beginning of Sandry's book. Uh, Daja talks about it all the time. It's just it is a part of her culture. It is a major part of what influences a lot of the rest of trader culture. Um, But this idea of everybody's book needing to be balanced and you can do bad things and that put gives you a bad mark. But then if you do good things and you get a good mark and you. And you owe people, um, and then they owe you, and then you cancel that debt by repaying them, and like just this very like obligatory culture. Uh, oh, actually, what we had kind of mentioned in our other topic, this is the reason why, um, you know, you can like you you can't like earn your way out of being trangshi because it gives you such bad marks that like there's this thought of. There's so little that anyone could do to, like, wipe themselves clean from the bad luck that is tanking their book. <laughs> um, but, like, so, like, that's a, that's a, th- that's a setup for the thing. Uh, but just the idea that everyone there owes Daja. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're, like, they're forced to interact with her just right at the end because they spent this whole book ignoring her and then she just saves lives and then all of a sudden they're like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> we didn't we didn't want to owe the only or a group of people that we don't acknowledge in our culture <laughs> you're the only people in the outside world that we just don't talk to because you were kicked out kind of and oh no now we're forced to we're lower than you because we owe you what how could we ever it just that whole thing just is so vindicating to read (laughs) and it's so funny it's so objectively funny if you i'm not going to spoil what it looks like but if you read that last scene and you literally picture what this would look like there's enough description that you can do that it's hilarious yeah and it's great it's very cathartic to read after reading all of Daja's oh, yeah. stuff that she's been going through for the like the 100%. last one hundred percent. Daja gets all upset about it because she's like, "No, stop that! I'm very uncomfortable." <laughs> I'm just like, "No, no, <laughs> let it happen." No, it's it's uncomfy. It's uncomfy because you didn't like me, and now you're 
that you're like asking for my approval, please no. <laughs> and they're like, but uh it's yeah, I like it. That's great. Uh if you don't mind, I would like to talk about one other thing that I experienced as a reader while reading Dodge's experience. Um, <laughs> okay. This is not in the text and it's not something that is I'm trying to figure out how to word it. <laughs> Dodge's experience as Trangshi for me stirred up a lot of feelings about being a person whose identity is rejected by a community. Mm, uh, okay. I personally was raised uh, Roman Catholic and my household growing up was intensely racist, homophobic, transphobic, you name it. That was the environment I grew up with. I grew up in. And I am a queer person. I am also a person who is now questioning my gender identity. So going through that experience while reading this, especially, and knowing what my father was like growing up, it made me feel a lot of things <laughs> about being a member of a community and knowing that your identity is not accepted by this community. And I was fortunate enough to have read the writing on the wall <laughs> and removed myself from that community, like, of my own personal choice before I got heavily invested in it. But there are people out there who are queer and who are still, like, part of religious communities and love their religious communities, which, that's not a criticism. I love that you love your community. <laughs> But it's still hard for them because their communities look down on them. But not you. You're different. Wink. <laughs> uh -huh. And I just have a lot of feelings about it. I don't have anything really, like, um, <laughs> really enlightening to say about it. <laughs> just that if you're a person with those experiences, you may feel some things while reading this book. <laughs> Especially the, like, you don't get to leave, but we also don't want you to stay yeah. feeling. Like, there's- uh, We just want you to be different. <laughs> nobody leaves the traitors until we kick you out. And even then, you have to follow all the rules about how exactly you're not in. Yeah. yeah you have to be kicked out it in the just, right way, too. Like, Just have a lot of feelings, okay? <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Zach. It's Josh. Zach, do you enjoy video games, drinking, and attempting to solve the world's problems through ridiculous schemes? Uh, yeah. Do you think others would enjoy that? I mean, I really hope so. So do I. So I think you all should come spend some time with us, the Midwest Meltdown. This show was created by these two fine gentlemen here, myself and Zach, when we spent the last 14 years telling each other funny stories, talking about video games, and literally anything else that comes to mind. We wanted to turn our passion for gaming into something that we could share with everyone. So again, follow us, The Midwest Meltdown, anywhere you can find your podcasts. That's Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean, Google Pods. Check us out. We'd be happy to have you. On to the wrap-up and ratings. For the gratuity rating... Um, for child abuse, um, this is, this is backstory. Yeah. 
<sighs> like, backstory, and we're getting told about a thing that happened before the events of this book in about a calm of a way as you can possibly discuss the thing that this is. <sighs> All on board with that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also want to say backstory and severe. Um, well, remember, this is not what the thing is. This is the the how it is depicted, the level of detail. And I, so this uh, is hit, mm. the, the level of descriptions. I would say it is backstory and it is mild. It is. I, I would say that it is backstory this, and this, mild. I it's his reaction is not mild. Okay. Um. Can we meet in the middle at moderate? Like, I really don't think it's severe. He has, he is, as to me, it's like he's keeping himself, like, as calm and measured as he can possibly be. There's, like, right, the minimum level of care, not into this. I I really don't feel like it's severe. Can one of uh, Daja or uh, Anna MJ appeal to Daja think? to help? I don't think it's severe either. Daja's the authority. <laughs> I don't think it's severe either because even though Frostpine's initial reaction is very uh, gutting, when he does tell us about what actually happened, when he's actually giving the details, he uh, doesn't go deep into the details he gives you what you need to know at face value so that way you can understand what happened to him without taking you all the way back to the trauma as deeply as he could so i would say moderate when i was saying severe i am thinking specifically of his exact reaction to finding out what happened Like, the moment in the scene where he reacts. I'm gonna go reread it. (laughs) Maybe it only read as severe to me because... Men yelling? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, that's... I don't want to describe what happens, but that's the moment I'm talking about. Yeah, I feel like literally that he yells, but then he, like, immediately is more measured and controlled because if we say child abuse severe like that paints a picture that is very different from what is in the book and i want to like accurately convey the emotional shape of what you will encounter with reading this and i feel like i can i'm okay with saying moderate but i do not think that this portrayal is severe yeah i am not okay with saying mild (laughs) okay um just to uh, bring in the text Frostpine's well, we reaction. Can't, we can't read the text because this is the non-spoiler. No, I know. Okay. I, okay. I'm, I'm telling you what I'm reading from the text. Oh, okay. okay. All right. I'm, I'm not giving you a quote. Um, okay. Frostpine's <laughs> reaction is distressed and he does start to raise his voice, but it's very short. And instead of continuing on, he does go outside. So he doesn't actually yell at anyone. He doesn't lash out at anyone. He starts to get distressed and then puts an end to it and goes outside. Okay, then I'll put down, then, okay, moderate. Then for disability, um, I feel like in terms of the descriptions of like what exactly she's going through and what happened, um, 
This is also backstory. Yeah, it's backstory. And I do think moderate because it like talks about um, what this has done to her body. And we get like descriptions sprinkled throughout the book of how it is currently affecting her. But it's not a gory description of the thing. It's like, like keeping to, again, like the minimum needed to convey the severity of it without dragging through, emotionally dragging through this description. Yeah, I'd agree, I would that. agree with that. Okay. Ostracization. Um, Severe and I will die on this yeah. hill. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, I, I know you're going to say that. And yeah, this is severe. <laughs> this is... There's there's a lot of it. It's literally the point of the book. Yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah, not, not trying to talk you down from that rating here. We're, we're good. <laughs> um, for the child abuse, what do we think? Um, we talked a little bit about the way in which getting the story in this book informs other things. Um, but as for exactly this as a piece of backstory integral interchangeable or irrelevant i would say interchangeable because i think you can drive the same point home with something else but i do think it's important and appreciate that there are instances in the books that illustrate the severity of the situations that they're in and the consequences of those situations without putting the characters in those situations that we know and love and see on the page. Mm. So I think that yeah. something is important to have to say, hey, there's consequences to this sort of thing if you're not careful. Please promise me you'll yeah. be careful. I this think there is a setup to another book later. True. Uh, and so I, I definitely agree. Like, that it didn't have to be set up. But it gives real world, like, we walk into that other book already knowing, like, oh, we know how this happened. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, I think it's important that there be something that outlines how important consent is in regards to your magic. Mm-hmm. It didn't necessarily have to be that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, disability. I think it's integral. For this particular character oh, yeah. and for the experiences that all the characters around them have. Yeah, I I think the most you could have swapped it out was have it be a slightly different disability, but like... Or, or a slightly so different many... reason, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but I... But it's still, I, the, uh, the thing being is, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think having disability as the reason does something that other reasons might not have been able to. Um, which is important, and again, like, the most you could do, I think, well, the most you could swap out, my feeling is that the most you could swap out is, like, exactly what kind of disability and what circumstances, and at that point, you just have this, it's fine. Um, yeah, I, I think integral. It's integral to the plot, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, uh, the ostracization. Integral. Integral. The point, it's integral. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like integral to the entire arc of all of the stories. Yeah. Not just this book. Yeah. Yeah. But even just within this Mm -hmm. book, it is integral. It is like the point (laughs) of the plot. Um, 
treated with care. So just the- as a refresher on this one, because this is a weird one. Yes, it means it just is fine the way it was on the page. Uh, enough means ow, but okay, essentially. Not enough is like, oop, nope, that was not, that was, they need, the author needed to do something a little bit different. And no, just means like they didn't even try, essentially. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um. So do we think the child abuse was treated with care? Yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, like, literally saying the minimum needed to convey the thing, and there's, like, a lot more that you could assume probably went with this, but what they actually have in the actual book yeah, it feels does. like yeah, it's it taking is. a lot of care. Even little things like him removing himself from the room rather than actually yelling, even just little things like that um, help a lot um uh disability uh i think enough Mm -hmm. is my thought on this one i'd agree with that i agree with that like it's it's not written and this is one of those where i i think this particular trauma is intentionally not just treated with care because i think this is one of those where that emotional impact on the reader even without any personal experience in this thing is so important that if it was just treated with care, I think it would be dismissive and lose its uh, impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wouldn't land as hard. Ostracization. I I think this is straight up treated with care because almost as soon as we have the ostracization happening, we have things coping with it and working with it and mitigating it and things we talked about before like daja keeping complete control over certain Uh aspects of the situation retaining agency yeah and having like not the uh, people who are ostracizing her but other support networks who are calling out what is happening and yeah actually including her and supporting her and caring about her and she kind of gets almost damage mitigation in real time from her chosen friend family group (laughs) and so it's like like it's definitely there it's definitely happening but yeah she gets a constant reminder that she has worth and value despite what she's experiencing that tries to contradict that and that she's not alone, even if they don't want to be with her. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And the and validation of her feelings throughout, like, none of the, I mean, occasionally, maybe some characters would be a little bit more flippant about it, but I feel like no one is mm-hmm. ever, well, you have us, so you don't need to feel bad about these people not oh, wanting no. you. There's so much care around yeah. <laughs> validating her feelings, showing her that she has other places that she can go for support, but also recognizing that this is very painful for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright. Point of view for trauma and aftermath. Um, for... I feel like it's really Daja for all of these. Like, yes, we do rotate viewpoints, but not as it relates to each of these three generally. Yeah. Like, the yeah. child abuse is Frostpine telling his story to Daja. Disability yeah. is mostly Daja interacting with Polyam. Well, I would like to 
maybe push back against a blanket statement. Well, I was going to say, okay. So So, taking the traumas one at a time. Here's my thoughts. I'm just going to walk through them. And then I want you guys to tell me if you think I'm off base. Okay. So with the child abuse, we don't see it on screen. It inherently cannot be Dasha's point of view. And she is being told directly by the person who it happened to. So I would argue that the trauma is Frostbine's point of view. And the aftermath is Dasha watching her teacher Um, go through this. You know what? You're right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah. And then I was just thinking about Daja in that moment being the one to like hear about it. But you're right. She's she's observing, but she wasn't there and she is getting a first person point of view from the person it happened to. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah. Um and then with disability, I think that Daja is the one who is observing um and seeing and this is we are seeing this happen in real time we never actually get a polyam point of view uh and we never see polyam without daja polyam leaves goes off screen does things comes back into daja's peripheral so that one i do agree daja's the point of view however i think that um the aftermath is is arguably tris <laughs> Because Triss is the one that Daja that is kind of calling out and talking to Daja and being Daja's backup on so much of this book. And I actually want to argue and and Triss is the one who first Triss is the one who who is the merchant child or child of a merchant who comes in and helps Daja with dealings and kind of intercedes between her and polyam in a couple of moments when like this communication isn't happening and we get triss's upsetness and we also get triss kind of going ah i know that polyam is also dealing with xyz but we get triss's point of view on seeing what is happening how it is affecting both characters a couple of different times and this one, if we don't think it's enough for that to be a Triss thing, and if it's just Daja Daja, that's fine. <laughs> that's also I think okay. You make a very good case for Triss. I don't. I just don't think it's just Triss. I think it is both Daja and Triss. Okay. I think I'll we also just don't get a lot of Triss's perspective on it. We get a lot of Daja watching Triss call her out, like call that's it fair. out. Because I do think Triss that's does fair. a lot of the aftercare, but I don't think that. I think that this book actually has a fairly marked lack of her perspective, all things considered, for being like okay. an evenly dispersed. I, and then I do, wanna... I do think the ostracization is Daja and then Daja plus family. Yeah. <laughs> plus yeah. found family. I, I do want to circle back a bit on the Frostbite one because I'm thinking about more of like how we have categorized things in the past. And we do not have Frost Pine's point of view on the trauma. Like we 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 don't, we don't need have it from that, his perspective. No, he's with literally the, way the narrator. No. Yes. Is he? He's the one talking and he saying, tells he tells he is, Daja what happened. Yeah. Okay. And nobody right. else comments on it. Nobody else has information. It is okay. just we the two see of them that on conversation the on screen. 
then how is that not Polyam saying what happened to her? How is that not Polyam's perspective in the same way? I'm saying it feels like there's then it a disconnect is. in how we've rated these. Then it is. Okay. But my All point right. was that it's, I was thinking more about the aftermath on when I was laying the case for Daja. Okay. But I'm it's perfectly either... fine with that being polyam. Okay, I'm just trying to think of, like, stay consistent in how we've rated yeah. them previously. No, I, I don't was, think I we've was pushing... previously, I don't think we've previously rated person tells main no, we character always, a story. We always as... have. <laughs> okay. I have, I not... have our ratings in front of me. <laughs> That is how okay. we've designated that all, pretty much every single time. Okay, I wasn't remembering it like that, but all right then. Then I think if if it's frost pine, it is also polyam because yeah. we have basically the same level of yeah no, telling that, it. That makes sense. I'm I'm cool. Okay. With that. Okay. All right. So now moving on. It's definitely to... a very Daja centric book, but also. Yeah, I mean, it is literally her book. Uh, <laughs> well, but I mean, Daja-centric in the way that, like, Sandry's book had a storyline oh, yeah. about Sandry, but it wasn't just Sandry all the time. Yeah, it was more split. Yeah. Okay, on to uh, lighter things, like the aspiring writer <laughs> tip. Um, Light? No, kidding. <laughs> what... Um, what... Does anyone have an aspiring writer tip for this? I have one. I'm not sure how to concisely say it, but I think that this book really does a beautiful job with not just the descriptions of the external world, but the descriptions of the internal world and the experiences that each character has. And so I think that putting as much care into the emotional world and, and the mental world that characters occupy as you do to your physical world building creates for a much richer story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Favorite non-traumatic thing about this book? Anybody want to go first? Okay, I hope this counts as non-traumatic. Um, just always a great way to start this. I loved... Because, like, I started reading this in, like, middle school. I was like, oh, my goodness, how forest fires work and, like, what math is. And, like, <laughs> oh, no. You learned so much. <laughs> learned learned so many things. This is very exciting. The magic um, school bus. The circle of magic school bus, as Anna has called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, it's, uh, I mean, like, I... I I don't remember if it was middle school or high school when I first read these, but, like, I think, like, I knew some of these concepts before because, like, <laughs> I had learned it around the same time that, like, no, 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 like, yeah, there's a lot of fires in California, but trust me, it'd be worse if there were none. Yeah. And so, like, but this kind of, like, really solidified that. And I'm like, ah, this is why, this is why quick burns are very important because we got to get rid of mast. <laughs> um... <laughs> I made that point yeah, in another def- podcast we appeared on that was not ours about this book when they were like, what, what, what did you, mm-hmm. what is the point of this book for you? And I was like, I learned so much about fighting forest fires <laughs> and I'm not joking. <laughs> like watching people talk yeah. about the fires this summer. I was like, that's exactly what Rose Thorne said. <laughs> <laughs> Rose Thorne was right yet again. <laughs> 
For me, it was Polyam and Daja forging a bond. Oh. <laughs> Just their overall friendship as it evolved throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Mine is the food. Like, every time they brought up the traitor food. <laughs> I feel like food. it's always yeah. the food I know, for well, we's also We've also talked about this particular book way more times than we've talked about the other books. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but yes, I think that just the the food and the ambiance, I always in these books feel like my favorite non-traumatic thing is the quiet moments when they're all sitting around and doing their work or having a meal or generally just mm-hmm. enjoying their life together. And we got a lot of really beautiful moments of that in this book. Uh, and a lot of it was centered around sitting down and having a meal together. And as someone who is a fan mm. of regions where this cuisine seems to have been based upon, that made me really hungry, and I really liked it, and I uh-huh. want more. Because <laughs> those are, like, cuisines I love. Yeah, there's, like, loving descriptions of what is, I'm like, that's Mediterranean food. Right. Yes? Yeah. I think, for me, I think it is... I think the thing that I really, really love, which is actually similar to yours, but it's not strictly just the food. I am just so happy for Daja that she got a moment or a couple different moments of feeling culturally at home. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, obviously, at this point in the story, um, she it like her home where she feels wanted and loved and like she wants to be there and this is good and healthy and happy is the winding circle like that is her new home and she is still like that's where she feels at home but culturally there's like this there's a couple of different moments one of them is the food one of them is when they're they have the the plant in the back of the caravan um where she gets to take a moment and go, ah, yes, this is so familiar. And then she kind of comes back to, ah, well, they don't, you know, they didn't, they don't want me to be part of it or whatever. But like, she gets those moments of like, this is how I grew up. And it really has, like we kind of mentioned this earlier, it really has only been six months since that was her life. And, you know, like she's, I don't want to say she's moved on. I do want to say she is creating a new home um, in Winding Circle. But, like, she gets to have that, like, this is my culture moment. And it's 110% about her and nobody else. And I'm very happy that she got that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I said mine. Yeah, you said yeah, yours. But you you okay. end our show. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I zoned out. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Thank you for waiting. Uh, thank you for joining us for our coverage of Daja's book. We have three more episodes after this. We're doing this like kind of survey thing going through the series because there's a lot of books in this series. And as you may have noticed, we don't normally do uh more than like three episodes. Uh, so this four episode survey of Emmelyn, where we're going to highlight each of the four main kids. And this was Dasha's turn. So thank you so much for joining us, Anna and MJ. And we will catch you in a fortnight.
music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash booksthatburn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout-out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.